Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Last week, a stack of Aussie sporting codes introduced new rules around the inclusion or exclusion of trans women in elite women's sport. It has again put trans women here in Australia in the spotlight as mainstream sport and society in general try to control how those who have transitioned fit in. Today on The Quickie, we unpack all the new rules and regulations and find out from trans athletes themselves about how all of this hyper-focus on a marginalised, vulnerable and very small representation of the population as a whole is making them feel. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. The last time we spoke about trans women, it was when Liberal candidate for Warringah, Catherine Deves, was running on a platform of anti-trans women in sport. Back then, we spoke to two trans women who explained just how this kind of conversation impacts them on a personal level. That really hurt and it really makes me feel very upset. And when my children hear about that, they feel upset as well. The last thing we need is a political party dominated by straight, middle-aged, wealthy white men the most privileged class in the country to make a class of people with some of the least privilege and poor social support to make them a target. It's incredibly cowardly. And now trans women in sport are back in the headlines again after FINA, the global governing body of elite swimming, decided to place a blanket ban on any trans women from competing at the elite level if they went through male puberty. To give this some perspective, it's estimated that transgender people make up less than 1% of the entire worldwide population. According to the 2016 census, 1,260 people in Australia consider themselves sex and or gender diverse. Only 100 of those people identified as trans women. That's out of a population in 2016 of 24 million people. We may not know what that number is in the 2021 census because the question was changed to give the option of male, female or non-binary, so trans women would most likely choose women. 
Another important thing to understand is that compared to the general population, transgender people aged 14 to 25 are 15 times more likely to attempt suicide, with 79.7% of transgender youth reporting to have self-harmed already in their short lifetime. The reasons behind this are varied, but basically those who transition often find themselves victimised, discriminated against and bullied. They're more likely to find themselves the target of violence and face being rejected by family, friends and work colleagues, as well as the community as a whole. Trans people also face discrimination from the systems that are supposed to protect them, including the police and the healthcare system. So we're talking about a tiny, vulnerable community who've already spent the federal election campaign as a target. Controversial Liberal candidate Catherine Deves amid outrage over her comments about the transgender community. What we're talking about here is gender reversal surgery for young adolescents. And we can't pretend this is not a very significant, serious issue. Now again, a trans person's right to exist in the world is being debated by the biggest sporting bodies in the world and subsequently being splashed across newspapers and websites globally. FINA's decision was the first domino. They've decided that trans women can only compete in elite women's races if they completed their transition before the age of 12. They have, however, committed to a working group to establish an open category for transgender athletes in some events in the future, as part of its new policy. As Australian transgender athlete Hannah Mouncey told Mamma Mia out loud last week, that isn't an acceptable solution. I think there's two really key issues here. One, if it's an open category, my assumption would be that it's open to men, women, trans people, non-binary people, intersex people, everyone, because that's what open, you know, obviously indicates. And so what you're having then is not a competition that's open to trans people. It's just going to become a competition for those who didn't qualify for the men's competition. When it comes to trans people, if you want to have a trans category, there's not going to be anyone to compete against. Sport has been traditionally seen as a really unsafe place by a lot of trans people, and so they don't engage in it. And the current conversation is not going to help that. The ban is currently affecting one person, America's Leah Thomas, who won an NCAA National College title in America this year. She will no longer be allowed to compete at the Olympics, which was her dream. A day after FINA's rule came into effect, the International Rugby League went one step further, saying transgender women are banned from playing in women's international matches until further notice. In a statement, the IRL said it's continuing to work to review and update the rules and will seek to use the upcoming World Cup to help develop a comprehensive inclusion policy. This ban currently affects no trans women, as there are none competing at this level. But transgender woman Caroline Late, who played elite women's rugby league in Australia after transitioning, told Reuters, It just tells trans kids and trans adults that you're not worthy. Don't even bother. Don't even bother showing up. What's the point? World Athletics has suggested they plan to do something similar and FIFA has already started reviewing their rules for soccer players too. The International Cycling Governing Body, UCI, has also announced new restrictions on cyclists restricting testosterone levels. The decisions have been met with mixed reactions. Among those in favour, Australian Olympic gold medalist Kate Campbell, who says women have fought long and hard to be included and seen as equals in sport, and can only do so because of the gender category distinction. 
Fellow Olympian Emily Seabom agrees, and she's thankful for the decision. Finally, we have a decision, we have a direction we're going. We're not saying no to transgender athletes. We're saying, yes, there's a cat- we're going to make a category for you. I mean, the vote was, I think it was like 71% people voted this way. But Hannah says people don't seem to understand the effects a transition from male to female has on the body. My bench press November 2015 was 150 kilos, squat was about 200, and clean was 140. Now, 12 months later, in like November, December 2016, my bench press had dropped to about 60. My squat was about 70, and the clean was about 60 or 70 again. Martine Delaney is a freelance writer and developer, a former pro soccer player and a long-time advocate for trans people having helped the AFL create their trans inclusion policies. She was the first person in the world to play for both men's and then the women's senior soccer teams. Martine, obviously sport that's already divided on gender for fairness needs to have a trans policy in place to make sure that the playing field remains level. So one that's based on not going through testosterone-led puberty would seem to make sense to some degree. But why doesn't that work? What part of the process are we missing here? I think the best way of comparing it is if you look at... In our society, in most sort of Westminster-style democracies, the judiciary, the, the justice system has always resisted government attempts to introduce mandatory sentencing because the problem with that is that as soon as you start making things mandatory and blanket, you then remove the ability to provide justice to an individual. And that's what's happening in this. I think Kieran Perkins summed it up well when he said, on the basis of one transgender athlete who may or may not actually make it at elite level, we have now decided to ban all transgender women from competing in elite swimming. And I think by their nature, blanket bans are an inherently discriminatory thing. They remove the rights of all individuals to fair treatment. So I'm not sure how they talk about it being a fair thing because it can't be. Marty, can you talk me through what it actually takes for someone, say, for example, who used to compete in the men's competition, who then transitions and applies to compete in the women's competition? What kind of process is that? It's not just a case of like one day you step out of one and into the other, right? No, look, even for me, I spent 20 odd years of my life playing men's football, real football, world football, not Australian league stuff, football. Better known to us Aussies as soccer. Soccer, yeah, but I refuse to call it that. (laughs) I spent 25 years playing that around the highest levels, sometimes in the highest levels here in Tasmania. Um, Then a couple of years after I transitioned, some girls at a party asked me if I wanted to come play with their team and I ended up playing first division women's but it created a huge uproar amongst people who men who were now coaching women's teams who'd been guys I used to play against and ended up going all the way to FIFA and FIFA decided that it was okay for me to participate and I kept on playing for 11 years but I had to have been at least two years post transition no longer have a body producing testosterone. Nowadays, they have limits of five nanomoles of testosterone per litre of blood, which they're talking of reducing to 2.5 nanomoles. And that in itself poses huge health risks for any trans woman who attempts to compete at any serious level of sport. But it was three years after I transitioned before I was in a position where 
they would accept and allow me to play. What do you think people don't understand about changes to your body when you do transition, when you do remove that level of testosterone from your system? I mean, we just, our sister podcast, Mama Mia Out Loud, just spoke to Hannah Mouncey who said pre-transition he could lift 200 kilos, post-transition she could only lift 70 because of the loss of muscle mass. What do you think people don't really understand about what that does to your body as you transition? There is muscle mass loss. And I think the FINA have been, may have been using some quite selective scientific data to back their stuff because they seem to be trying to insist that there is no loss of musculature. But yet you do, I do, drastically change the process of getting firewood to my back door for my wood eater because I could not lift anywhere near the loads of firewood I used to walk up the back steps with prior to transitioning because I was a lot weaker. You begin to get to a situation where your body starts to build up dangerous levels of lactic acid. So recovery time, you know, for me as a football player, I had to try and maintain a higher level of fitness. You know, it's not as straightforward as Fina would like to make it look. Martine, what's driving this at the moment? We've seen trans women in the spotlight where sport is concerned a considerable amount of time this year alone. Is it that there are women in the sport who are worried about this level of fairness like Kate Campbell? Because, I mean, from an outsider's perspective looking in, it makes it sound like there's hordes of trans women at the gates (laughs) trying to bash their way into women's sport. I don't think there are any more trans women attempting to to compete at elite or semi-elite levels in this country or around the planet than there were 20-odd years ago. There doesn't seem to be a, a huge increase in numbers. I think with all that's happening in the United States where state after state after state is banning trans women from, from participating in school sports, in, in college and school sports, it turns out I think there are four or five young trans athletes competing across. It's like, hello? What is this about? And I don't know. It, you know, you, get, you can be accused of conspiracy theory stuff, but um, sport is a handy place to, to raise the spectre of transgender people destroying the world of sport. The overwhelming majority of this discussion is about transgender women not being able to compete in women's sport. While there are nearly 30 bills in progress in the US, for example, many of them facing legal challenges that require children to prove their gender assigned at birth if it's disputed... 22 of the bills are specifically written to ban trans girls and women from joining female sports teams. Only six also include boys and men's teams too. The idea is to protect women's sport from those who are formerly men competing at an advantage, something viewed as unthinkable for someone who transitioned genders from female to male. However, as Martine mentioned, there are few completed studies on whether younger transgender athletes have a measurable advantage over cisgendered athletes. So is there a better way of being inclusive of female trans athletes at the elite level rather than just enforcing a blanket ban? Martine says, while one code in particular hasn't got it completely right, it's the best they've come up with so far. I got involved in the AFL's trans policy development in the the tail end of that, the consultancy process around what they'd come up with. And there are lots of problems with the AFL's policy, I think, but at the same time, they deal with it on an individual basis. It's about the individuals. Like Hannah Mouncey failed because Hannah's huge, even with her reduced 
weight, her size, her sprint times and everything else meant that she fell within the male parameters rather than female. And they said, no, you can't. Uh, it's possibly unfair in some ways, but it it does give that possibility of ensuring you're acting fairly with an individual rather than simply saying we all need to be kicked out. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, Gemma Bath and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane. Audio production by Tom Lyon. And if there's a new story you want us to check out for you in a bit more detail, here's how you get in touch. Shoot us an email, thequickie at mamamia.com.au or you can DM us on a stack of socials, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Thanks to anyone listening who's become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. And you'll be helping to fund girls in schools in some of the most disadvantaged countries in the world through our partnership with Room to Read. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes. Listener.